Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Where are we? In the village, talking about Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling. Yes, the longest titled episode in the history of The Prisoner, all 17 <laughs> episodes worth. I guess that's an achievement. Yeah, that's what's so. Um, uh, so some some backstory, I think, which is kind of required for this one, um, which is this. At this point in the show's run, they had made 13 episodes, the 12 that we have already watched, and then um, plus Once Upon a Time, which was the penultimate episode of the whole series. And the studio... Um, who was kind of growing tired of um, the budget overruns and how long the series was taking to make, um, initially wanted 13 more episodes to have like a tidy 26-episode run sort of for American purposes. Uh, Magoon and the company says, no, we don't have enough of that. Let's let's get a deal and let's just do four more. Um, sure, fine, the studio said, but... The first episode of that, this one here, uh, was slated to be shot at the same time that Patrick McGowan was already contracted to film scenes for his role in what would become Howard Hughes' favorite movie of all time, Ice Station Zebra. Do you know the story about that? No, I've never even heard of Ice Station Zebra. Uh, it's a film that came out in 1968 that Howard Hughes, this is this is when he was um, basically holed up in a uh, Las Vegas apartment, and he had a T, I think he owned a TV station, and he enjoyed this movie so much that he basically had this movie running around the clock <laughs> in like 1970 or something like that, nonstop, on a loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with McGoon un- unavailable to... Um, to film the prisoner episode they wrote this one instead where he basically shows up for for a day on set and, and the bulk of the action is played by uh by Nigel Stock. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah, I I thought it was weird because this whole series has been so very Patrick McGowan centric. Mm-hmm. Um and and I thought it was like how did they arrange to have an episode that he wasn't in like how were they mad at him or what but no this makes <laughs> this makes perfect sense so hmm, that is fascinating it's like one of those Doctor Who Doctor Light episodes mm-hmm. this is kind of a number six light episode yeah except it's not number six light because no. Nigel Stock Stock yeah. Stock he does a really really good. Patrick McGowan impression his delivery of the lines his body language isn't quite great but the way that he speaks like I I feel like he must have been studying footage or something because he does a lot of uh of of the dialogue and sort of the reactions really really well as number six I never really noticed that um like enough to want to compare were there were there specific moments or just in general that you thought that were they were quite similar Oh, I should have been yeah. should have been taking more specific note, but there were there were definitely some of the lines, specifically like the <clears throat> the briefer uh, lines right. that just just sounded like Maguin and sort of his the the cadence and the uh-huh. delivery was really really spot on. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I I knew Nigel Stock from um he was in The Great Escape. I don't know if you remember from The Great Escape. Oh, he he looked familiar. Yeah. Um so yep, that's probably where I know him from. Yeah, and he will be in Doctor Who time flight one of the least regarded stories in, in doctor who history in some 15 years time but um but yeah i thought it was good it's funny because a lot of people um this is another episode where received fan wisdom kind of rates it on the low ebb what is wrong with you fandom good grief 
that is such a nutshell that you don't want to open right now. So you you quite enjoyed this one, did you? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that I would put this up with with my favorites mm-hmm. because it just it feels different enough and kind of weird enough that it it, it it's not it's not in my heart because I feel like a lot of the what I the things that I love about the prisoner really are Patrick McGowan in his performance and the village and its weirdness and you really didn't have either mm-hmm. but I find this as a sort of like as an experimental episode really interesting just like you know with Doctor Who you have Doctor Light episodes which is which is a strange thing it's kind of experimental and I like I've always liked that Doctor Who was bold enough to go there mm-hmm. so I kind of like that the prisoner was bold enough to to do this the thing that I that probably I dislike the most is the fact that it kind of doesn't jibe with um many happy returns because like mm-hmm. he'd gotten out and he'd talked to his superiors and told them all about the village before and suddenly here's this other guy that comes back and claims to be him and we don't see any you know not that they would say anything in front of him about that because they don't believe that he's really who he is but we see scenes of his superiors talking to each other without him there and right. they don't say anything about his previous jaunt uh, from the village mm-hmm. and whatever happened to that airplane and stuff so it's kind of it kind of doesn't work on in that level um, and I'm also not sure how I feel about them giving him a fiance that he just up and left like he was he resigned and was going to go like on a vacation is what it looked like there was nothing about nothing about a wife so I mean I, I like it for its ambition and sort of you know the experimental nature of it but i it really doesn't fit with the rest of the series all that well no but so the story goes if if the series had actually been picked up for a second run or perhaps if they had made the 13 episodes in full uh, apparently one of the the sort of the motif of those new episodes would be number six being sent out on missions from outside of the village, outside of the real world, I, I think they were sort of um, feeling they've they've hit the end of of being able to sort of make the village, uh, you know, the village had grown too small, perhaps for their ambition. They told all the stories they could tell, which probably indicates why um, most of the stories that they make from here on in are not actually set in the village very much, or at least certainly don't feature it very much. Um, so it's, I wonder if they would have explored that. But you're right, that's still. Um, <laughs> leaves the question of this mysterious fiance mm-hmm. who hasn't existed in, until this point. It would have been neat if they had, sorry, if they had like a a picture of Janet or something in mm-hmm. the pic in the uh, the house and many happy returns. But I I guess that kind of shows how, um, not to say last minute, but certainly this was this episode was dreamt of after they shot many happy mm-hmm. returns. Yeah, I mean it's it's one giant retcon, mm-hmm. and not just many happy returns. They should have had a picture of Janet in his room in the village because it's like you know that set. Oh, is, like when he wakes up, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean that set is is supposed to be a almost exact replica of his his apartment back mm-hmm. home, and you know that's I feel like that's kind of an important thing. Also, they really want to get information out of him uh, if. If they were the awful people that they're, you know, made out to be, they probably would have just kidnapped his fiance. It's obviously not mm-hmm. a big secret um, that they were engaged. Kidnap the fiance and try to use her to get to him. I mean, you can kind of hand wave that away. She's the she's the daughter of uh, an important, 
you know spy personage mm. of some sort so maybe they have you know she's she's protected but they seem to be able to get at anybody they want anytime so this this episode does feel like one giant retcon just for the sake of being able to get this story told well but it's still i still find it an interesting story and i do i don't love the retcon of of giving him a fiance but i do like the idea of you know the the romance of her mm-hmm. recognizing that it's the the person that that she loves and she's a pretty good actress Mm -hmm. you know that first scene with her um where she's wanting to know where he is i yeah it was good which one the the one where she encounters him at at his at his flat or at the party at his flat yeah Mm -hmm. i like the scene at the party actually that was quite a touching moment i thought when Mm -hmm. when he like and now the message and he kisses her probably Mm -hmm. in the only way that uh that that she would know Mm -hmm. um to prove that it's it's which Kemi construed as like creepy, like a boy. I sure hope she realizes it's me after this. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's, you know, it's. I didn't find it too creepy because she wasn't resisting. She didn't run true. away. That's like true. he was, he was definitely like he didn't have his arms around her in any sort of trapping kind mm-hmm. of way. So you know, she could have, she could have resisted or moved away. And actually, afterwards, she does walk away from him and he lets her. Yes, but I like, I like the the subtle touch where she doesn't just sort of walk away. Like, but she actually puts his her hand on his mm-hmm. chest mm-hmm. as she walks away, knowing you know that's mm-hmm. kind of like a sign of affection there but she, and that, that then she's just like stunned into the new reality that she's experiencing yeah it's it's interesting it's 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 kind of a, a sign of affection putting your mm. hand on somebody's heart but it's also holding up your hand to somebody you know like talk to the hand style right. so keeping keeping them at a distance at the mm-hmm. same time and she's also using him for balance because there's a step she has to step down <laughs> seriously though How that's pragmatic of you yeah. <laughs> no i noticed i was i was analyzing this whole thing as it was happening uh-huh. and i think that that's you know it sounds kind of funny when i say it that way but she's as you said, she's just kind of rocked back and she's just so surprised and not sure what to think and out of it that, yeah, taking a single step down into the garden mm-hmm. is just too much for her to do without some extra support. So I think it's kind of an extra little, um, you know, icing on the cake showing just how surprised she is and how much this has affected her. Mm-hmm. Of course, then she disappears from the story and we don't don't see her again. Yeah, after that, uh, that cut to the commercial break, um, she she's done. she's done. He leaves the party and he goes back and he picks up the film and then looks at the slides. Yep. Uh, what did you think of that scene? Um, it was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of ridiculous that he just you know convinces her that he's really him and then just leaves without a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, the I liked the picking up the film. Yeah. Like the fact that he went went straight for that. Um, I kind of liked the uh, the spycraft that he has these special lenses that he mm-hmm. can see stuff. Um, and I like the fact that there are, you know, that there's a code involved with Saltzman's name and the numbers and um, needing to put all four of those slides together in order to see the message. That all is cool. The thing that's not cool is the fact that in order for the audience to be able to follow along, mm. he has to write out the name Saltzman on a piece yeah. of paper and count on his fingers yeah. to discover which letters, which number, and set out the slides over the numbers. I mean, it was very clearly hand-holding for the audience. So that part I just found kind of ridiculous, but it was somewhat necessary, so I just laughed at it. It was fine. Yeah, there was, there was a bit of hand-holding, as you say, because, you know, there's, in, in past episodes, we've said how Magoon is so great at 
he doesn't talk to himself when he's alone in scenes. Um, you can just sort of tell what's going on. But this episode is different because there's a number six in a different body. So we kind of need to hammer the point home that this is number six and not someone who doesn't look at all like him. And so they have these like in, inner monologue voiceover. stuff, voiceover stuff, um, the counting thing. Because otherwise, I, I'm just trying to think if he didn't do that if you just we just saw him go write out the name and the numbers and we think what does that mean mm-hmm. um i may imagine maybe we'd sort of figure it out that uh, 13th letter is such and mm-hmm. such but i i feel like they could have done it a little bit more elegantly by using a little bit more voiceover there because we didn't have any voiceover in that scene <laughs> no uh we could have had Patrick McEwen saying, you know, that A is the fifth letter, you know, mm. just A is fifth letter, M is, you know, 13th, mm. so N is 14, you know, just like yeah. like that, um, so that we get a little bit of, of, of what he's thinking, mm. as opposed to counting on his fingers. Because honestly, while I feel like his performance was, was quite good as number six, I cannot picture Patrick McEwen counting on his fingers <laughs> no. to figure something out i mean he's number six has always been sort of a, a really sharp smart character that just doesn't seem like something he'd do i feel like a spy like him would have all of the the letters and numbers memorized like so you could just say q and he would immediately know yeah. what that is you know it seems like a spy thing to know gotta be some sort of code that involves the numbers of letters i imagine right yeah well obviously yeah. there's one right there he used it yeah <laughs> um so there's uh, um the, the science, quote unquote, science <laughs> involved in this, where there is a way to swap minds with other people with uh, crazy um, spark effects and um, boxes that have like heart rate monitors and four little RCA plugs. And, and that's <laughs> that's the summit of this technology. This, this is as, as uh, sp- uh, crazy science fiction as it kind of gets in The Prisoner, isn't it? Yeah, this is, I mean, there's been some, some kind of out there weird stuff, but nothing that goes quite this far into the realm of, of pure fantasy, really, mm-hmm. when you think about it. But um, but I, I I liked it. It wasn't like there was, you know, it wasn't like they just sort of took it for granted. This, this It's a technology that this one guy has yeah. has developed and, you know, they're they're trying to, to track it down. So, it's, you know, it's, it's very experimental. Um, and, but yeah, it was, I just think that was... It was kind of neat mm-hmm. out there, but but cool. Yeah, it's very spyrific and mm-hmm. science fiction, and this is yeah, kind of James Bondy, I suppose, in its mm-hmm. way. That kind of approach mm-hmm. to things. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh-huh. One of the one of the things about it though is they uh, number two, who is kind of one of the more nondescript number twos. He's he doesn't he's not in it a lot. Yeah. Um, although I like his velvet jacket, but uh, so he's taking uh, the colonel into the amnesia room which is labeled examination room but Mm -hmm. it's the amnesia room and uh or what was it maybe it was an examination anyway they they go in there and he's Mm -hmm. saying you know we have the technology to you know take their mind back and erase you know this guy's been here for three days he told us everything he we needed to know so we're just going to erase all of his memories of the village and send him back into the world Mm -hmm. so it's clear that they did that to to number six in the colonel's body because when he wakes up in his apartment he doesn't realize he's been gone for a year that's true I, i'd forgotten about that i was wondering how they're going to deal with that and yeah that's right yeah. the thing is okay. at the end of the episode his you know the the brain transference 
like, you know, has been reversed and his mind is back in the correct body. But there's never anything to sort of account for the fact that he's given his memory back of the village. Obviously, he does remember the village Mm -hmm. because he sits up and he like he's looking at number two and talking to number two as if he knows exactly what the village is. And, you know, he's he's grumpy about (laughs) about being back there and smug about Professor Saltzman getting away in the colonel's body. But uh, but they never actually explain that he gets his memory back or that there's even a way to reverse the amnesia because uh, that was very clearly set out to not be a part of the Saltzman machine. That was a totally separate effect. Mm-hmm. So I guess once again, you can hand wave it and be like, oh, all of the electric zappy zaps or uh, it, it, it ruined all the amnesia blocking or whatever. But yeah, that was, I felt like that was a bit of a plot hole. It restored it, the backup from the cloud as opposed to the one from the hard drive, I think is probably how it meant. The hard drive one was the one that had the, the bits wiped out, but the original was in the cloud and they brought it down from there. There you go. Sure, that, that works. That's a retcon and a half right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh, I had other things I was going to say about this. What else was I going to say? Do you have anything else to say while I think about it? Yes, you do. Yeah, well, I realized that last time, I uh, last episode, I forgot. Mm. I, I was just so grumpy about that episode, I completely forgot about the cosplay uh, section. Oh, so, yeah, right. And I'm not going to go back and do that one because whatever. But uh, <laughs> but this this episode, um, my choice for for what I would like to cosplay, uh, they use this, those same green drapes again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are still high on the list. But um, her, Janet's outfit her coat her really cool coat in that first sequence when she comes to the his flat mm-hmm. and is, is wondering where where her lover is whose name we still don't get nope. zm 50, 73 73 73 is that it yeah. 75 anyway um she's it's, she's got like this nice kind of light blue coat with with neat buttons and it sort of flares out around the waist and i think it's very nice you know it'd be really cool and this would be the the most deep cut uh, cosplay of them all would be to go to a prisoner convention and wear like a yellow dress that she <laughs> describes only that she wore at her, at her birthday party a year before that yep. and yeah a yellow silk dress yeah. that's ooh, I like that idea that's good that's yeah. even better I'll <laughs> <take> that. describe dress <laughs> I can't remember what things I was going to say about this uh, oh, oh uh, <laughs> it was frivolous that's why I can't remember <laughs> I, I was reading up about this one the other night and um, I discovered something really cool called the Paternoster. Do you know what a Paternoster is? I know of the Paternoster gang from I, Doctor Who. I and I knew that that was a word, but I I probably knew at one point, but it's not one that I know or remember. No, I think the Paternoster, I think Paternoster is probably a, a region or something like that where they come from. But uh, the Paternoster is kind of like... Imagine if an elevator was a floating sushi bar. And so the thing that that number six uh, and and the other guy is played by James Breen when they go and visit the colonel are sort of on this elevator that's going up and up. That is like a nonstop elevator and you just step on and off as it comes. And so because it doesn't stop at the floor, they eventually ban them because of the obvious safety risks. But there are some still in use apparently in Europe. And so I discovered that. So I was paying particular attention to that this episode i actually did notice that uh, that they stepped as they stepped off it what it didn't stop and i was mm-hmm. like oh that's that's interesting oh yeah. but that's that's really cool and yeah i can totally see safety risks but it seems like a kind of a neat idea yeah 
Oh, uh, what else did I have? I think I had something else in there, but um, but perhaps not. It probably wasn't important anyway. But um, yeah, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that episode. It was it was fun and and um, secret agenty and different. Um, it it almost feels like an AU episode, like it's an alternate yeah. universe episode. It doesn't quite fit in with the continuity, but it's a neat idea. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's true. Um, and that one, uh, I think there's one more that aired in 1967, I believe. Am I right? Yes, I am. Which, um, <laughs> because this one aired, this aired three days before Christmas in 1967. This one did as is tense. This one coming on on December 22nd, if you're listening to this as it drops. But, uh, so, so we have one more episode for the calendar year before our release schedule changes slightly um, to accommodate the original broadcast run as it moves into 1968. Uh, And that is Living in Harmony. Mm -hmm. So that's your homework for January-ish? No, December 29th. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, because if there is is a post-Christmas episode of The Prisoner, then this is surely it. (laughs) The one that's like a Western. But uh, we'll talk about that on our next episode of In the Village on the Incomparable Network. Thank you for not saying it all creepy. I do my best for you. Be, Aww. <laughs> Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you.